On the program tonight, the making of a quagmire. Israel prepares for a bloody and perhaps endless war with Hamas. As new video emerges showing just how barbaric the terror attack was. Can Israel actually destroy Hamas? Wartime president. Israel has to respond. They have to go after Hamas. Mr. Biden talks tough on U.S. support for its strongest Middle East ally. I want them to see. But is it too late for him to rewrite his failed policy with Iran? It just disappeared. After seven months, the trans school shooters manifesto is still secret. What they're trying to hide in Nashville. And you scream, I scream, why we all scream for ice cream. Turns out sugar is more addictive than cocaine. Thank you, big girl. The new science about America's most insidious addictions. We start with breaking news, 7 p.m. in Washington, a little after 2 a.m. in Gaza. The chief spokesman of Hamas's military wing says they will release foreign hostages held by Hamas when, quote, conditions on the ground allow. In other words, he's trying to further rally the world against Israel and their coming offensive. That won't be hard. The Israelis, of course, are used to being on their own. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, heading into a trap and on their own. That's on point. Israel rightfully wants vengeance and justice and safety and to get their hostages back. But they can't quite figure out how to get those things. And increasingly, America appears unwilling to tighten the thumbscrews on Hamas's bosses in Iran. New pictures show Israeli tanks ready for a ground invasion of Gaza that should have started a few days ago. But if you look closely, only a few of the Merkava tanks have what are called cope cages. That's the wire mesh on top to protect against drone strikes on the turret. These are new. That's the weakest part of the tank. It's something Israel never thought of until this video came out from Hamas's attack last Saturday of them using drones to drop ordnance straight down on tanks. It's the latest indication that Israeli commanders have to rethink their entire battle plan for Gaza on the fly. Hamas gunmen set up blockades over the weekend to stop civilians from leaving Gaza City. And Hamas isn't just 30,000 fighters, it's a movement. Gazans elected them back in 2007. We hear over and over about 2 million plus Gazan civilians, and it's true, many are civilians. But many, if not most of them, support Hamas. Recent poll says 57% do, so well over a million of them support Hamas. The New York Times describes Hamas as, quote, a large social movement, as well as a militia that is deeply embedded within Gazan society. That's true. This isn't ISIS with 5,000 radicals who want to go back to the 8th century with Mad Max-style pickups. This is a large organization with hundreds of thousands of supporters concentrated in Gaza, plus a large military structure and organization and bureaucracy. Not to mention... Help from the Kuwaitis, Qataris, Turks, and Iran. Killing their leadership. 
solves the problem of justice and vengeance, but it doesn't come close to achieving the Israelis' goals of eliminating Hamas. Short of bombing Gaza back to the Stone Age and killing everyone, eliminating Hamas is like trying to eliminate cockroaches. It is possible, but it is difficult and a very messy business. And already, sadly, as we predicted, the world is crying about civilian suffering, not Israeli suffering, but Gazan civilian suffering. That is undeniably true. You could fairly describe Gaza as one of the worst places on earth before last Saturday. And it's only getting worse there. This is Hamas's responsibility. Egypt could offer safe passage to the civilians. They won't. Instead of flooding into Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, the displaced Gazans say could fly to Iran or Turkey or Qatar or Kuwait. After all, Iran and Turkey fund Hamas, as does Kuwait. Qatar gives their leaders a safe haven. It's not that far of a flight. I'm sure somebody could pay for the airplanes. Emirates, for example, has a lot of airplanes. So is Qatar Airlines. But that won't ever happen. And the BBC will give them a pass as they keep Gazan civilians inside Gaza. So now Israel is stuck with vulnerable tanks attacking an entrenched enemy with years to prepare an enemy with technology Israel never anticipated. Israeli military leaders now have new orders as well. Originally, they had planned to damage Hamas. That was always the plan. Now they must destroy them. Even if you take over Gaza, things get worse. Israeli occupied Gaza once, way back in the day. It was a disaster. Israel had to withdraw. Hamas then took over. So Israel now faces, 10 days after the attack, They face a delayed ground invasion and many bad options. The only way to truly curtail Hamas is to cut off their funding, weapons, and support. That has nothing to do with invading Gaza. It has everything to do with Iran and Qatar. Israel really can't do that. The past few hours, the Pentagon put a few thousand combat troops on standby to go to Israel, but America has done virtually nothing to address the root cause of the problem, Iran and Qatar leaving our ally Israel effectively on its own and heading into a trap. That's on point tonight. Ambassador John Bolton is with us, former assistant to the president for national security affairs in the Trump administration, as well as former ambassador to the U.N. Uh, All right, Ambassador, how did I do? Well, I think that was a very important point uh, to make, number one, that Israel may have military reasons to delay its incursion into Gaza. I I hope those are the reasons uh, that they need more preparation. Maybe they're somewhat unsure what the situation is with Hezbollah in the north. They want to make sure they can respond if Hezbollah attacks. Those are good, legitimate, valid reasons to be prudent militarily. What I'm worried about is that some of the reasons may be bad, may be political, may be they're feeling the pressure already from the high-minded in Europe and the United States, which would be very dangerous because it can sap morale and it can lead to confusion. So uh, I'm willing to give uh, Israel the benefit of the doubt that they know what additional precautions they need to take. That's fine. It's their young men and women at risk. But I certainly hope that having drawn this line in the sand on Hamas, which they have done, uh, they're, they're not beginning to get cold feet now because the bigger picture, as you were mentioning at the end, is not Hamas. We're focused on Gaza. We're focused on the incursion. We're focused on what Israel may do in uh, the Gaza Strip. 
But the real villain of the piece here is Iran. They have armed and trained Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthi rebels and Shia militia in Iraq. They support the Syrian regime. They've given direction and control. They've tried to create what Qasem Soleimani, the now deceased head of the Quds Force, called a ring of fire around Iran, and Hamas could be the first step. So that's, that's what the big picture is for Israel. It's a tall order to deal with. I think they can do it. Uh, but they, they, nobody should be of the view that this is just a problem with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. All right. President Biden was asked about that yesterday because the, the world seems to at least acknowledge that uh, Iran is the real the real puppet puppet master uh, here. Uh, he was asked what his message to Iran is. Take a listen. What is your message to Hezbollah and its backer, Iran? Don't. Don't, don't, don't. Don't come across the border. Don't escalate this war. That's right. What exactly does don't mean? Well, they've already done. Uh, you know, what, the, what Hamas has done is launch roughly 5,000 missiles so far uh, into Israel. Some of those are homemade missiles, that's for sure. Some are procured from strange places and black markets. But a lot of them just came directly from Iran. This is Iran acting through a surrogate, as it would act through the uh, Hezbollah uh, in Lebanon and Syria as a surrogate, as through uh, Syrian conventional forces, as through the Houthis and the Shia militia in uh, Iraq. This is a perfect setup for Iran. Other people are bleeding and dying, and they are striking at the great Satan. That's escalation. The Iranians have already done it. Uh, it's like saying if you take effective steps against uh, Russia and Ukraine by striking targets in Russia, somehow Ukraine's escalating the war. The Russians started the war, and Iran, through Hamas, started this war. So it's not escalation uh, to do what former Secretary of State Al Haig used to call go to the source. Uh, to that point, though, and I, I take, I take you know, sort of notice of what you said about why Israel is or is not delaying the ground invasion. We talked a lot last week about the fact that um, Israel's already facing this pressure. There was the talk about Israel has to abide by international law. Uh, you already heard the Brits talking about proportionality and whining and crying and on and on and on. But at the same point, if you're if you're sitting there and you're Benjamin Netanyahu, you realize going into Gaza, uh, you're not really taking on just 30,000 Hamas fighters who are well entrenched. You're you're taking on 30,000 Hamas hardliners uh, with a population that, of a million plus that supports them. It's a very different thing inside an area twice the size of Washington, D.C. If you're the Israelis, how does the fact that America does not appear to have your back vis-a-vis -vis Iran uh, and vis-a-vis -vis Qatar, for that matter, how does that play into the decision matrix? Well, it has to worry them. I mean, uh, President Biden has ordered two carrier battle groups to the eastern Mediterranean. It's good to have that capability there. But, the, but, but where the rubber meets the road is uh, if the situation arises, and we hope it doesn't, but if it did, would he order them into action? And I don't think I know what the answer to that question. I don't think the Israelis know. Worst of all, I think the Iranians think based on his willingness to, to uh, bend his knee and, and pay them $6 billion uh, 
uh, to, to free five American hostages. I think they think he's weak. I think they remember Obama drawing red lines on Syrian chemical weapons during his administration, of which we may remember Biden was mm -hmm. vice president. Uh, I think they've watched the withdrawal from Afghanistan. They've watched the disarray in the policy in Ukraine, and they may think that they're secure. That, that's the worst part of all. You bring up the red line in Syria. I was in Israel uh, that the night that President ba Obama announced he wouldn't attack Israel. And I remember getting the call, uh, wouldn't attack Syria. And I remember getting a call from a senior member of the Israeli military after President Obama said, you know, we're done and we're going to kick it to Congress and on and on after Assad gassed his own people. And the senior member of the Israeli military called me and he said, well, we're on our own now, and you can imagine those in Jerusalem are feeling that way right now. I think that's exactly right. That's always been Israel's position. They want to defend themselves. Uh, yeah. But it pushed into a corner, which is what the ring of fire strategy implies. I think the U.S. should help them out. They, they may not want it initially, but it's very important here not to allow mm. Iran to succeed. We, we don't know what the full strategy is. Remember the intelligence failures in Israel and in the United States that led us to this point now. It'd be, it'd be imprudent to have confidence what lies ahead here. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, the unknown unknowns. Ambassador, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you, as always. Live pictures of the White House. President Biden is once again a wartime president. He reportedly wants to head to Israel at some point, hoping he can recreate the polling boost from his numbers when he visited Kiev. Anything would help right now. 67% of Americans feel the country is on the wrong track. 54% of Americans disapprove of President Biden. Jimmy Carter famously appeased the Soviets, much like Mr. Biden appeases Iran. After getting embarrassed by the Soviets time and time again, Carter reversed course. But it was too late. America saw him as weak, as did the world. He lost to Ronald Reagan in a landslide. Crystal Ball is here, host of Breaking Points on YouTube, former MSNBC host. It's good to see you. Are we seeing a shift in President Biden, you think? Shift in what way? Uh, change the policy towards Iran. Um, I don't know that he's changing policy towards Iran. I think that he made a huge mistake at the beginning of this administration not getting back into the Iranian nuclear deal. Right. I think that um, the trip to Israel is a massive risk, given that our you know, huge ally that he has said unequivocally that he stands behind and has a right to defend themselves and they're trying to rush aid to, et cetera, et cetera, is in the midst of committing what the U.N. describes as war crimes, including a medieval siege. I think that the war that you and Ambassador Bolton seem very anxious to get us into in Iran would be obviously a political catastrophe for the president. I don't, I don't hear anybody uh, interested in a war. Uh, John Bolton seems very interested in war with Iran and not to mention has always been interested in war with Iran, so we, uh, I, I, leading I, I, us directly into World War III. So okay. I don't know about his policy on Iran, but I see the, the view of the Middle East very different from where I sit. Okay, so what do you make of what Jake Sullivan, the president's advisor, said, uh, what is it now, 18 days ago or so, about how they viewed the Middle East? Take a listen. The war in Yemen is in its 19-month of truce. For now, the Iranian attacks against U.S. forces have stopped. Our presence in Iraq is stable. I emphasize for now because all of that can change. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Well, I'll tell you what mistake he made, which is also the same mistake that Biden made, which is also the same mistake that Trump made, was to try to pretend like the Palestinian quote-unquote issue didn't exist. 
that you didn't have millions of people in Gaza seething under a uh, multi-year blockade, that you didn't have illegal settlements and occupation in the West Bank, that you did not have to deal with these millions of people who were under an illegal apartheid system. And so you had the Trump administration Mm -hmm. that moved forward with the Abraham Accords, again, ignoring that situation. You had the Biden administration moving ahead with attempted normalization of Saudi and Israeli relations, all pretending that this problem with the Palestinians did not exist. I think the fact that the world I, I, I hear, I hear forgot you. that this I don't was think unfolding is a I don't key think part world. of the problem here. My question would be, whose fault is that problem, though? Because you seem to want to blame it on Israel, and you want to seem to take away Israel's right to self-defense. No, I don't. I don't well, want to you, take you, away their right to self-defense. What I do want to take away is their right to have an apartheid state. Which they don't. Engage which they don't. Oh, come on, Crystal. You know, come on, Crystal. You know that, you know. Leland, no. right you now, accuse people right of now. Just, hold on. I, if you let, me there? Say, let me just Go say. Go ahead. Let me just say. Uh-huh. What Hamas did, mm-hmm. terrorists. Massacre. Oh, thank you. That's really horrendous. Huge of you to be able innocent to point out. Innocent civilians mm-hmm. should not be targeted, mm-hmm. whether they are is- innocent Israeli okay. civilians or innocent and then, Palestinian civilians, which you seem to difference. have no issue with. No, I, I have a huge issue with it. The fact of the matter is I, I lived there reported. I have lived there for four years. I reported on it. I realize there's an enormous difference in moral clarity between Hamas that targets civilians, which you agree they do, and the Israelis that go out of their way not to target civilians. There is How an enormous difference between the two. is it to the parents of the 1,000-plus children in, mm-hmm. the, in Gaza right now who are dead yeah. that Israel theoretically maybe has less barbaric tactics? So, let me just They've say, already oh, killed sure. more in Gaza than in the horrific Hamas attacks. So who's one atrocity does so who's, not, who's one atrocity I, does not okay, you've said justify that three times another now. You've atrocity. Said three times Whose responsibility is the fact that those civilians are still there? Is it the responsibility of the Israelis? Or is it the responsibility of Hamas that's setting up checkpoints to keep civilians as human shields? Or is it the responsibility of the Egyptians that won't let them through Rafah? Or is it the responsibility of the rest of the Arab world that will not take a single Palestinian refugee to allow them to escape a murderous regime in Hamas? There is plenty of blame to go around. Uh What I will tell you, though, is are you aware that Netanyahu, as a policy to try to short-circuit any Mm -hmm. efforts at peace and the establishment of a Palestinian Mm -hmm. state, intentionally propped up Hamas because he saw them as a useful foil. These are not my words. These are his words. Mm. That is why the Israeli people overwhelmingly want him Uh, to be out of a job because of that failure, because of the intelligence failure, because of the military failure. And now we're going to stand by. Now we're on to Israeli politics. We're going to stand by and and say it's fine for them to drop white phosphorus on civilians. Which they haven't dropped anyway. Yes, they have, according to Human Rights Watch. Thank you. Thanks, Leland. <laughs> Not a source I trust. Next, mass shooting secrecy. Powerful groups want you to forget about the Nashville trans shooter that killed six at a Christian school. Why police want to keep this manifesto under wraps. We have a manifesto. We have some writings that we're going over. Plus, the extreme measures a father took to protest his daughter's school's dress code. Cue the strip tease. If you have a a dress code policy that allows us in a classroom, it does not promote a a safe uh, classroom environment. We have a manifesto, we have some writings that we're going over uh, that uh, pertain to this day, the actual incident. We have a map drawn out of how this was all going to take place. 
That was more than six months ago, 203 days to be exact. A transgender gunman killed six people at a Nashville Christian school, the Nashville Covenant Christian school. Shooter's dead. But as you heard, left behind writings that the police chief said would shed light on what happened and why. And yet, eh, just disappeared. We never heard about the shooter or their manifesto that could tell us why the shooter targeted that Christian school. There's a reason for that, of course. Today in Nashville, well, the police of all people, the very people who promised to release the manifesto, argued to keep it secret. Doug Pierce is an attorney representing the National Police Association who is suing to get the manifesto released from the Nashville Police Department. Uh, Doug, do you understand why they want to keep it secret? Is this political? Well, uh, of course, we've got a couple of different parties here. We've got uh, the people that are holding the records. That's Nashville Metropolitan Government, uh, the legal department representing the police department of Nashville. And then the, we have the intervening parties, which includes uh, the church, the school, and parents involved uh, at, at that school. So we have two different parties. Uh, exactly why they want to do what they want to do, uh, I have just very limited information. The Public Records Act in this state is very simple. Uh, the public gets the records unless there's an exception. And the metro government uh, legal department is relying upon about five different exceptions. Uh, the one that's holding it up right now is uh, uh, the investigative exception. Uh, the police have acknowledged uh, that they don't know that there was anybody else involved, but they want to keep searching to see if there was someone else who had something to do with this crime. Yeah, I, I can't quite figure it out, though. I mean, I, I, I get them saying that. They also said there was no threat to the public uh, as soon as the incident was over. They've also said that they were going to release the manifesto, as you heard, uh, in the coming days in the soundbite. They can't point to anything uh, that, that that is new or they've learned to this to this exception. You think about the old National Bank shooting in Louisville, Kentucky, five deaths. Uh, the, the motive to prove how easy it was to buy a gun and highlight America's mental health crisis and to kill himself, the manifesto leaked uh, 10 days later or less. March 27th, six deaths, uh, Aubrey Hale, no official motive released, manifesto not released yet. Uh, is there a reason to think this isn't political? That this isn't a feeling by at least some, and we'll, we'll put the family and the school aside for a second, that they don't want to be talking about how someone who clearly had issues uh, mentally uh, was part of the trans community and how those two things intersected to create this situation? Well, number one, uh, of course, you, you aired uh, what the police chief said that, hey, we're going to get you this, this information. And, of course, it hasn't happened. Mm. And the story from the police has changed. They've changed. And I think why, why they've changed is because of the information or perhaps the... Well, let, me uh, let me turn it around the other way. Why do you think it's so important that it come out? Because we learn from experience. And as bad as this experience is, uh, the information that can be obtained from the writings, uh, as you've pointed out, you know, all these other shootings, the writings come out. And, for example, the, the U.S. Secret Service has been studying specifically school shootings for decades. And uh, in more than half of these instances, the shooter or the perpetrator leaves behind writings, hmm. be it a journal, manifesto, whatever. And by studying those writings, uh, the Secret Service and the federal government have pointed out that many, many times over the years, uh, other incidents have been stopped 
or disturbed. In, in, yeah. in other words, this saves lives. In other, no, in other, in, 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 other, in other words, in other words, releasing this saves lives. Uh, the bar to to not release it, you'd think, would be um, fairly high. Uh, we appreciate it. We're going to keep following. I know other news organizations have have dropped it, but we won't. Let us know how the lawsuit goes. All right. Certainly. Yeah. Thank you. New research shows a dangerous drug is on a street near you in America. You can buy it at any store in America. It could prove as addictive as heroin or cocaine. The withdrawal symptoms are similar. And over time, it causes all sorts of health problems, including death. I'm talking, of course, about sugar. Before you change the channel, turns out the advertisers have long known something that we didn't. Once you pop, you can stop. Never had a trip like this before. Got to have some more. That's the classic Pringles potato chip commercial that coined the phrase that many would recognize and never forget. Once you pop, you can't stop. Turns out you actually can't stop. Potato chips and ice cream are highly addictive. Just how addictive? Well, research shows they're addictive now as nicotine, cocaine, and even more addictive than heroin. 14% of Americans are fully hooked. The finding is shocking given that ice cream, potato chips, and of course, Ultra-processed foods have been linked to cognitive decline, cancer, psychological distress, and even early death. The criteria includes uncontrollable and excessive consumption, cravings, and continued intake. Addictive physician Dr. Daniel Bober is here. Uh, Okay, really? Like cocaine and sugar equally addictive? Well, they both engage the same part of the brain, which is the reward system. So we're talking about dopamine. So... What really makes this dangerous is this addiction we have to ultra-processed foods. And these are foods that contain chemicals, emulsifiers, artificial colors. They also contain refined sugars and just the right amount of salt, sugar, and fat to be highly reinforcing, which can lead some people to engage in compulsive eating. So it does share features of addiction with other classic substances like cocaine. All right. So how much of this is do we link back to the the food lobby and the sugar lobby, right? Because cocaine, heroin, highly illegal. We're taught just say no to drugs, on and on and on. Oreos and Lucky Charms, which are just some of my personal favorites, uh, are, are in abundance and are allowed to be advertised and the like. I guess, what is it, what is it going to take to treat these, quote, ultra-processed foods, your words, not mine, Uh, in the same category as other substances that are addictive and dangerous? Well, I think, look, the health effects are tremendous, right? So you have increased risk of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, obesity, dementia. All these are public health effects. But unfortunately, Americans typically have a very unhealthy diet, which is why obesity uh, is such an epidemic in this country. So I think it's like anything else. It's our obsession with all this instant gratification. We want to hit and we want it fast, whether it's from cocaine, whether it's from food, whether it's from shopping, it all has one thing in common, and that is using a compulsive behavior to deal with uncomfortable feelings. And whether that's loneliness, whether that's isolation, whether that's depression, it's something that we need to look at because it is part of our culture. Yeah, you make a good point. It's part of our culture. Um, and that as we've gone along, we've all become a lot more interested in the instant gratification. Uh, I'd add Instagram to that, too. But, hey, um, I'll keep scrolling through my golf feed. Good to see you, Doc. Thank you. Next, progressives in America find their new cause, uh, as you just heard, terrorists. 
And it's not just on college campuses. Bill O'Reilly joins us on the left's newfound love of Hamas. It's a video of Hamas gunmen shooting an old woman. They wanted the world to see their depravity. They filmed it. Unlike the Nazis who attempted to cover up the Holocaust, Hamas and their Iranian benefactors remain proud of killing elderly women and slaughtering babies, as evidently do their supporters in America. In fact, many universities remain squarely on the side of Hamas. We saw huge protests over the weekend. There's the University of Michigan professor who still has a job after tearing down posters of Hamas hostages. Pretty smug look on his face. There's Joseph Assad of Columbia University. He's a professor who called the attacks awesome. In our upside-down world, Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian Authority and president, appears to have more moral clarity than the presidents of major American universities. Abbas reportedly, at least, called for the release of the Hamas hostages. Much like the universities, America's biggest unions, well, they have not found that moral clarity. So biggest unions and universities found moral clarity about BLM, trans rights, and Ukraine. But when it comes to terrorism, there's both sides. The Service Employees International Union President Mary Kay Henry tweeted, the violence in Israel and Palestine is unconscionable, as if it's the same kind of violence. SEIU stands with all who are suffering while strongly condemning anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and hate in all forms. I'm sure everybody feels better now. Bill O'Reilly's here, host of the No Spin News. Bill, how did suddenly in our culture terrorism become something to be celebrated? It isn't sudden. So the progressive movement has always hated Israel. It sees Israel as a fascist country that is uh, persecuting the uh, innocent Palestinian people and has always taken that posture. So why would they change? It doesn't really matter what Hamas does or Iran does or Hezbollah or ISIS. It doesn't matter um, because the United States and Israel, they made them do it. See, that's the mentality. You always have to understand your adversary, Leland. And the far left, they're so poisoned as an ideology against the United States and our uh, ally, Israel. There's no reasoning with these people. I mean, these college professors, they don't care about babies or, you know, mass murder. They don't care about that. They care about their ideology. This is where they live. You'll never get them out of there. But I wrote a column on um, BillOReilly.com, which is where we live today, that the cancel culture is turning on the far left. The far left invented the cancel culture as a device, a la Saul Alinsky, to take their opposition off the table, to destroy their opposition by accusation unfounded or whatever. The media bought into that, puts the accusation on page one, due process, forget it. But now, in one of the most severe ironies I've seen in decades, the cancel culture is churning on the people who support Uh Hamas. And you saw it in the Wall Street Journal today, um, and it's happening right now. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, look, the one thing that might change it on university campuses, and you tell me if it's not so much cancel culture, because look, you know, you've got Bill Ackman and others saying that some of these uh, people who are participating in these rallies should be fired. You've got uh, Donald Trump coming out today and saying any students who participate in these rallies should have their visas pulled. Um, which is kind of hard to argue with if you're going to support terrorism. But Ken Griffin, John Huntsman, Mark Rowan, and Iden Offer uh, have all threatened potentially to pull uh, their donations to major universities uh, over the university's lack of moral clarity. Forget, forget even condemning the groups that support and the kids that support. These universities won't even stand up for Israel. They you know, they stand up for BLM, they stand up for Ukraine, they won't stand up for Israel. You say it's about the progressive left hating Israel and on and on. How much of it's just rank anti-Semitism, you think? I don't know. You can't look into the hearts of people. I can tell you that there isn't any consistency at my alma mater, Harvard. I mean, they'll banish uh, conservative spe- uh, spokespeople. They'll cancel you if you're a student that joins the Republican society or whatever it may be. They'll persecute you there. But if you're far left progressive, they'll celebrate you. So, look, uh, people believe what they want to believe. I know the truth. Um, I hope people do go to BillOReilly.com to find out why this is all happening, Hamas and Israel and all of that. Yeah, I kind of wonder if the media will keep on and allow the cancel culture to come all the way back around or if suddenly they're going to find uh, a way to get out of it, of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We'll, uh, we'll see, and uh, I know you'll keep covering it. Bill, thank you, and I'm looking forward to joining you tomorrow. The tables will turn. All right, no spin news as a Leland Vitter tomorrow, and that should be a, uh, an interesting thing. And don't forget Killing the Witches, Leland. Best Halloween book ever, with apologies to Edgar Allan Poe. So long as the apologies have been given. We'll see you tomorrow, Bill. Thank you, as always. Coming up, an Arizona father showing some skin, um, quite literally. Never thought you'd see this at a school board meeting, did you? There's the Daisy Dukes. someone that was born and raised in Israel and someone that loves this country. You can't just sit, you know, 5,000 miles away in, in, in New York. To be part of the big operation that happens in Israel, to be part of this significant times in Israel. I just knew I had to go back home, save my country, help my people, and uh, give my part. Plainfuls of Israeli reservists arrived over the weekend to pick up the fight against Hamas. Chris is here, just got back uh, from Israel. Look, Chris, I spent four years there, so covering this is sort of in my DNA. I'm wondering, though, from the time you left to go over after seeing the news and the time you came back, how did your perspective, uh, we'll call it the conflict uh, generously, changed? Well, I mean, I I think the only thing that really through the two things that threw me in the 25 plus years that I've been monitoring the situation professionally. One is how badly Israel was caught off guard. Never seen anything like it. Uh, The second thing is this odd confusion or conflation, uh, if you want, in the American dialogue um, between Palestinian suffrage, which is real, and this idea that Hamas is in any way a force for good or for the interests of those people, which is nonsense. And I just, uh, I was taken by surprise, 
by that in Israel. You know, I kind of couldn't even follow it. Didn't make sense. I didn't even cover it because it, it seems so wrong headed to me. But it's very, very real. Look, it's real. I see it as growing. Bill, Bill O'Reilly was on in the segment before, and he said the cancel culture is coming back around against the Hamas supporters, especially on university campuses. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I, I think it would be great if it did, because the, the celebration of terrorism and the celebration of the slaughter of civilians is wrong. Uh, there is good and evil in this world, and people have to make that distinction. What I'm interested, though, is we never saw this when it came to ISIS, right? Same tactics, same kind of brutality. And no one shed a tear over ISIS. No one, no one thought to even wonder who they were fighting for or why or justify it or anything else. Um, as you look at it, is there any way to look at this and what we're seeing as anything other than real anti-Semitism that's sort of now been festering for so long in America and is exploding? The best argument is that there is a metaphor from Palestine to the apartheid state in South Africa, and that Israel put them and is keeping them in this position, and that's what makes it different uh, than ISIS. That's why after 9-11, when people could have argued that we had created a lot of distress in the stands, Mm. um, and that's why ISIS was so mad at us, nobody made that argument. Um, We went right after uh, first the Taliban, then Al-Qaeda, then AQAP, and then finally ISIS or Daesh or whatever you want to call them. Um, The distinction here would be, yeah, yeah, but we weren't actively oppressing those people and Israel is. Even if, even if that's your argument, Hamas is still poison. Hamas is not a legitimate government that has the interests of the Palestinians. They went into Israel, did something grotesque, knew that Israel would retaliate, and are, in fact, banking on it to drive their extremism uh, and their calling card among the suffering. That's what this is about. So you can be pro-Palestine. You can feel badly for the Palestinian people Mm -hmm. and realize that life should get better and the region and the world should have a role in that. But you should not be supporting Hamas. They are nothing but poison. I I would take great issue to comparing it to South Africa, uh, as I'm sure you know. But uh, that will be a discussion for another time. I know you got some people on coming up. That's their uh, argument. A little later. It's not my argument, but that is the argument. Oh, yeah. No, people make all sorts of arguments. It just some 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 have validity, some don't. Um, Chris, it's good to see you as always. Welcome home. We're glad to have you. Uh, I've missed our talks. Uh, Hopefully we'll find something else to talk about other than this uh, tomorrow. Coming up next, a dad who said enough is enough with the lax dress code at his daughter's school. I think Chris would have had some thoughts on this segment. Maybe we'll talk about this tomorrow. The dad who finally took matters into his own hands. Did it work? Under the proposed policy, this would be appropriate in a classroom. Now, if you ask me, this is inappropriate for a board meeting. That was an Arizona father is. You saw stripped down to a crop top and jean shorts at a school board meeting to protest his daughter's school's new dress code policy. The conversation started in May when the school board met to discuss the dress code policy at Higley High in Gilbert, Arizona. 
The panel's progressive members argued the policy from 20-plus years ago disproportionately targeted female students. The proposal would have allowed exposed midriffs, spaghetti straps, and halter tops. And despite Father uh, Ira Latham's valiant effort, the board eventually voted uh, for the more lenient dress code by a 3-2 margin. And Ira is with us now. Um, was it? What possessed you to do this? Yeah, Leland, honestly, you know, this is a frustrated dad that has tried to argue the board. This is another example of this board and district just going rogue and doing whatever they want. This is the same district that had a superintendent that has been indicted on 18 counts of felony charges. Same district that uh, that illegally goes around Arizona law and sends teachers to training that has CRT training. So taxpayer dollars going to it, which is against Arizona state law, with the promise that if the teachers just plug their ears, they, they can get around that law. This is an example of them not listening to the vast majority of parents that came in and requested that we have a minimum standard for our children to be able to educate. They, they expect that the kids can just come in, cover their underwear, and the stars the limits, kids. But regular people, thinking people, understand that you have to have minimum standards for children to have a good educational experience. I just want to know what your daughter said. Did you, like, add, did you tell her you were going to do this? So I actually have four kids. Uh, I have uh, three boys, and my youngest is a, a, a girl. There was some report that I have a teenage girl that goes to Higley High. That, that's not true. Um, but I did talk to my kids about it, and I said, listen, I'm doing this for this reason. And they understood and everything like that. And we're now in the process. We're going to pull our kids out of the district because our district just isn't listening. We're going to go to a charter school because they're just not listening to us. I just, I really, though, like, I, when you watch the video of yourself standing there in a halter top and Daisy Dukes, I'm wondering what's, like, what's going through your mind right now as you watch the video back. Yeah, me is, uh, I made, uh, this is the second time I spoke to the, uh, the board, so this is the second time. So I went through, like, how do you make your point better than, hey, this is not good for the education, because everyone's conflating the argument to be it's about women and people policing women had nothing to do with women. That's not the argument. This is about children in the classroom and setting the minimum bar standard for them to have success in the classroom okay. and at the end of that. Do you think, and I, I've, I've covered a lot of school board stories, right? I've, yeah. I've never seen a, a father strip down to, to this. Uh, we should have probably given people a warning. I mean that with no offense to you, but just, you know, hey, no, people are eating okay. dinner. <laughs> um, do you think people understand sort of how angry parents are these days? Uh, no, because a lot of the time we just, parents are busy. We're, we're super busy. I, I work, they, they have the yeah. board meeting at five o'clock. It makes it really hard to, to be able to attend. And so I totally understand. But the minute you start getting, you understand that your, your kids are in front of these people for eight hours a day. So what's going on in the school? Yeah. Parents need to be paying more attention to it. So, yeah, I get it that this looks like oh, an extreme it's hard, case. It's hard. I got to run. It's hard not to pay attention yeah. uh, to, yeah. to, to, and to that's, that. Yeah, and that was the whole point, is to make sure that common <laughs> sense it. people could I gotta 